Last week we spent some time talking about the spiritual but not religious. These are the people who say they have a rich spiritual life, but they don't like religion. You might hear the spiritual but not religious say something like this. I like Jesus, but I don't like church. At their worst, the SBNRs, the spiritual but not religious, are simply grasping for a reason not to go to church on Saturday night or on Sunday morning. But let's not kid ourselves, the spiritual but not religious really has something to teach us. We can learn from them. When we start arguing about the color of the carpet, they will be the first to roll their eyes and then they say, you just proved my point. So when it comes to worship itself, the spiritual but not religious people would say, I can worship God on a nature walk as long as I am praising God with my life that I don't have to attend a worship service. I can do this anywhere. Worship was our theme two weeks ago at Camp Wyoming. On Tuesday, our scripture was the story from Acts chapter 16 about Paul and Silas worshiping God in prison. And the point being for us at Camp Wyoming to say if Paul and Silas could worship God in prison, then certainly we can worship God wherever we are. And of course, the story from, from Acts 16 goes like this, that when Paul and Silas began worshiping God from prison, so much so that the prison walls came tumbling down and the chains that were holding their feet fell open and Paul and Silas were free. And the theme for the day was, I can worship with God everywhere. So when it comes down to it, what is worship after all? I would like for us to look at the story that we just read from Samuel chapter 6 to see if it will help us learn more about worship, what it is, and how we can worship God in our current context in 2012. 2 Samuel 6 is the story of David, the new king of both Israel and Judah, bringing the Ark of the Covenant to his new his new uh, uh, capital, Jerusalem. And what you need to know about the Ark of the Covenant is that the Ark was the scene as, was thought of as the place where God lives. This is where God sat. It was a throne, so to speak, for the Lord of Israel. So the whole time that the people of Israel were wandering through the wilderness, making their way from Egypt to the Promised Land, they carried with them the Ark of the Covenant. And when they would stop to rest, they would put up a tent of the tabernacles, the tent of the tabernacles, what it was called, and in the most sacred, holy place of that tent was called the Holy of Holies. And this is where they would place the Ark of the Covenant, and only the priest would go in and offer sacrifices to worship God, the Lord of hosts, all centered around the Ark. Of course, you may have heard of the Ark from a popular movie that I saw growing up, Raiders of the Lost Ark, 
back then when David was setting up his throne in Jerusalem, the city of David called Zion, he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant there to Jerusalem. At the very least, David was shrewd enough to realize that if you wanted to legitimate your new capital, your new throne, then you needed God's blessing, and there was no more symbolic way to do that than to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. So he does that, and he makes quite a show of it. He strips down naked or nearly naked and starts dancing before the Lord as the, th as the Ark was brought into the city. It's a big celebration. It is, you could say, a worship service. They had harps and tambourines and cymbals and castanets, and the people were shouting, and there was the sound of the trumpet, and David and the house of Israel were dancing with all their might, and it was then that you knew that they were not Presbyterian. And if you look closely at the reading, I think there are at least four things that you can learn about, about what worship is. First of all, worship is always centered on God. In the story, the celebration was not about David, even though he was the leader. The worship was centered on the Ark of the Covenant, which literally and figuratively represented where God was. So if worship is always centered on God, then a helpful model for worship is that we are the artists, we are the celebrants, we are the singers and the dancers and the prayers and the hand clappers, and God is the audience. What is your model for worship? Do you come to worship hoping that the sermon is not too long and that the songs are not too new and that the climate in here is not too cold or too warm? Could you perhaps be influenced about how David leads the people in worship? Not to expect to be entertained or comforted, but to do the entertaining. It's as if the Bible is suggesting that worship can change your life. But in order for that to happen, you have to show up and actually get involved in the process. So worship is not about us. It is always about God. Secondly, worship is dangerous. If true worship is centered and focused on the holy presence of God, then you have to treat God's presence with reverence. If you, can, if you don't, you could end up on the toasty side, as did Abinadab's son, Uzzah. You see, he didn't treat God's presence with respect and with reverence. There are always going to be people who think about worship and say, oh, what's the big deal? It's just an ark made by people. It's just a sanctuary that has been here too long. It's all ordinary, everyday stuff. But they are wrong. So let that be a lesson to us as well. I don't think God is going to send hellfire and brimstone to those of us who are dozing off during the sermon or passing notes instead of listening and singing the hymns. 
But I wonder, I wonder what happens to us in our lives if we continually treat what is sacred as just blasé. Could it be that that just burns us out? In fact, what worship teaches us is that it is the ordinary, it is the everyday stuff of life that is holy and sacred in our lives. You could say words are just words. Ah, oh, but words can build you up. You could say that water is just water in a baptismal font. Ah, oh, but water can quench your thirst. You could say that when you come to the table, that bread is just bread. But it can satisfy. You could just say that community, that church, is just a bunch of people who can't get along. Or you could say that community is a place where people learn forgiveness and grace and fellowship. So what worship teaches us is to treat God with reverence, to respect what God has given us, and to realize that just because you're not feeling it, just because you're not acknowledging, doesn't mean that it's not real. Your ability to think and to grasp who God is is not what is ultimate. God is ultimate, and God is to be treated with a holy reverence. So not only is worship centered on God and teaches us to revere God, but thirdly, worship is not always popular. And there was that wonderful little thing in the story, I don't know if you heard it, where Saul's wife, who had been given to him because he had killed Goliath, Michal, Saul's daughter, didn't join in the festivities. She saw what was happening from her window, and she looked out, and it says that she despised David with her heart. It's a shame, isn't it? Not everyone is going to support you when you put God first in your life. When you say to your family and your friends and to your boss and to your coach that you place God in the center of your life, they may look at you from the window and think that you are crazy. There's so much static in life, isn't there? There's so many people who want to drag you down into petty arguments instead of worshiping God. Some people will want to manipulate you with anger or shame or resentment so that you forget to put God first in your life. Some people will say in the way that they treat you, don't dance with your life. Don't you praise God by dancing and singing and praying. Why waste your time with stuff like that? But King David had it right. He knew that problems would come during his kingship. He knew that things wouldn't always work out the way that he wanted. He knew that he himself was going to encounter miserable failures in his marriage and in his children. But right then and there, he showed that nothing was more important than bringing the ark into Jerusalem so that everyone knew that God was first in his life. So worshiping doesn't always lead us to being perfect. 
But what worship does is it changes our perspective. So not only is worship centered on God, and God is to be revered and respected, and not only does worship make other people uncomfortable, when you get real, they may not like it. But lastly, worship feeds your soul. It says that King David offered sacrifices and he blessed the people. So there is a payoff to worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And the payoff is that we walk away nourished. King David, you might suggest, prefigured Jesus when Jesus fed the 5,000. For David blessed the people and gave everyone there a cake of bread and a portion of meat and a cake of raisins. And David didn't say, well, this is for some and not for others. He didn't say uh, to judge the people and say, well, you deserve the cake of raisins, but you do not. He didn't say, well, I better ration this out because there may not be enough. Well, David just gave and gave and gave. And that's the beauty of what we do here in worship. Where else in the world do you gather together with people and sit next to them and be treated as an equal? You see, here in worship, the young sit next to the elderly, and the rich sit right next to the poor and stand behind them in line for the bread at communion. And people of all colors and all backgrounds hear the same message that we, each and every one of us, no matter where we came from, no matter what we look like, no matter what we have done in our lives, no matter what the status of our titles and our bank accounts, no matter any of that, we hear the same message that you are a beloved child of God. God loves you, God created you, and God will sustain you through your life. So worship is an integral part of community foundation. What formation, what we do here in life matters. What we do here on Sunday morning makes a difference in your life. Worship has the power to change your life, to shape you, to live the Christ-like, cross-formed, shaped existence where you are to grow in love for God and to grow in love for your neighbor. Our heritage in the Westminster Catechism states that plainly, asking the question, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of humans? We are created to praise God and to enjoy God forever. So no, church is not the only place where you can go and praise God. But if you feel like your spiritual life is being held captive by religious institutions, I would again mention to you the story from Acts 16, the story of Paul and Silas in chains in the innermost part of the prison. You see, Paul and Silas didn't say to themselves, well, as soon as we get out of prison, well, we're going to worship God, aren't we? 
No, they were in prison, bound together in the depths of the darkness. And it is there that they started praising God and singing hymns, and suddenly there was an earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaking so much that the walls of the prison came down and the shackles that were tying them fell open and they found themselves free. So we're gonna try some camp songs. <laughs> 